Shri Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Srimad Bhagavad Gita Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Brinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanandi. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. Nice to sit with you all. We're going to discuss a little bit from Bhagavad Gita tonight and some of the evenings ahead. And um, tonight we're going to start with the 12th chapter, 18 chapters in all, 12th chapter. It's entitled Bhakti Yoga. Arjuna Vacha. Evam satata yukta ye bhaktas tam paryu pasate ye chapi aksharam avyaktam tesham ke yoga vittamaha. Arjuna asked, <clears throat> Evam satata yukta ye bhaktas tam paryu pasate. There are two types of approaches to divinity that are mentioned here in question, in form of a question on the part of Arjuna. And they are not questions that haven't come up, uh, or there, it's, it's not a question that has not come up earlier. <clears throat> and repetition here. I suppose, in one sense, is of value for the sake of emphasis. The question is about these two types of approaches to divinity. And uh, the the question is yoga vittamaha. They're both forms of yoga. And we'll go into what they are, but uh, he wants to know, Arjuna wants to know, which of them is yoga vittamaha, which is the best? Uttam, Vittam, which is the most, uh, based on the best understanding, the most knowledgeable, the most comprehensive. It means to know, Uttam means the best, what is the best kind of knowing? Most comprehensive means of knowing, uniting. It's, uh, as I mentioned, it's not the first time the question's asked, although a little bit differently here. Interestingly enough, and for good reason, of course, it's asked at the beginning here of the twelfth chapter, which is about bhakti yoga, directly. And it was asked, and it's a similar question, I should say, was asked at the end of the sixth chapter, which leads into the seventh chapter, and the middle six chapters of an eighteen-chapter book, all of which emphasize the theology of the text. This is the concluding chapter of those middle six chapters. They're very theistic in, uh, in nature. And in theism, in a theistic form of Vedanta, then you have to have an object of worship, and you have to have the worship, and you have to have the worshiper. Hmm. Um, to put it another way, in a way that's perhaps more... Um, appropriate given our tradition where the Gita leads. In love you have to have an object of love. You have to have a lover and you have to have the love. Hmm? I make a distinction there. It's a subtle distinction but an important one between love and worship. In worship you require the object of worship, you require the worshiper, and you require the 
require the worship. Hmm? But there's an there's a, a, a distance, if you will, or a gap between the object of worship and the worshiper that is bridged to some extent by worship. Hmm? But the very term object of worship and the worshiper as much as they're connected in their distance is 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 uh, is crossed or is overcome by worship the very words themselves at the same time foster a sense of distance hmm? i may come close to the object of worship by my worship but still it's the object of worship and i'm the worshiper hmm? whereas when we phrase the the um, the same idea, similar idea, object of love, the lover, and and love itself. These terms don't, in of themselves, foster a sense of distance between the object of love, the lover. Neither is the love a different thing. There's a unity, if you will, that we sense uh, when speaking about this idea in bhakti hmm, with these words. And thus, there are two divisions, significant divisions within bhakti, the bhakti tradition. Hmm. That being a tradition or, or division of worship in reverence and awe and worship in intimacy. And there are leelas, if you will, divine play, that uh, which is a big subject in and of itself, but um, that correspond with intimacy and with majesty, hmm? uh, interaction between devotees and uh, and the Godhead that are um, reverential and those that have a, uh, where reverence is uh, character is uh, conspicuous by its absence, but it's not absent in as much as I want to say, and I've said before, that uh, love is a child of sacrifice. Hmm? In other words, from the womb of sacrifice, love is born. Hmm? Sacrifice, self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness. I want to say there's a progression there. Hmm? I can consciously make a self-sacrifice. I should do it because it's the right thing to do. Hmm? Or I can, without thinking about it, so much identified, if you will, with the object of my love, make what appears to be a sacrifice to others that doesn't appear so to myself. Hmm? Uh, indeed, which constitutes a, a form or a sense of self-forgetfulness. To use a crude example, sometimes we find people do heroic acts without thinking about it. There's a fire in a building and a young child is, is, is crying and a man hears it and runs in and saves the girl. And then the newspapers all come and want to put a badge on his chest and ask him what he was thinking. And he basically says, I wasn't thinking. I was so identified with the plight of the person that I didn't think of myself. What would happen to me? I made no calculation. I didn't think... I should do this. The newspapers will come and put me on the television, or the reporters will come and I'll get publicity, I'll be known for this, or it's the right thing to do. There's no thought, and this is a crude, crude example, but you 
kind of got to get the idea of where I'm, I'm going with this. So similarly within bhakti, there are two basic uh, divisions, and these divisions in, in, in uh, the terminology of our particular lineage are interesting in, uh, in that words to use to describe them. One is vidhi and the other is rag. Vidhi means rules and rag means like attachment, um, like we have in love. We're attached to a person. We we identify with them. We, um, if, if you're walking down the street, uh, I've given this example before, and you, somebody touches you, you, you kind of go like, oh, excuse me, or he goes, excuse me, and you pull back. But if you're walking down the street with someone that you love and they bump into you or they touch you, you don't think anything about it because you've identified with them. You're by attachment. You've gone there. You've become, in a dynamic sense, one with them. You're still you and she or he or whatever is still who they are. But there's a, there's a kind of a uh, profound, I want to say, very profound and... Um, extraordinary kind of unity that includes the diversity of the two of you, which is also an important element of love. There have to be two, and the two have to be one, and they have to be different. It's something like love in the sense is like, you give me your heart, and with that, all your desires, and I make them mine in my body, in my mind, and you take my heart and my desires and make them yours. So you are living for my desires, I'm living for your desires. We're both there, but we're one. So this is the idea in in the bhakti school um, of love and intimacy, where there is a sense of unity. It's very profound. At the same time, a distinct sense of difference um, remains. And in the, the other division of love, because it's the right thing to do, there's dutiful love. I should do it because it's the right thing to do. That's a different kind of love. Um, because Shastra, because the sacred texts say so, therefore I should do it. And this is the motivating factor and so forth. This is another division of bhakti where, in a sense, we don't get as close to the deity. Some prefer that. Hmm? Uh, it's not the focus of our particular lineage. And uh, the Gita here is talking about Yoga Vittama here, the best approach, and it uses words slightly different, in a slightly different words when it, this question is addressed earlier in the text. As I said, this is the end of the middle six chapters that are really all about bhakti. Hmm? It's the theology of the Gita, so there's God, hmm? and there's us, there's the fire, and then there are the sparks, or the rays of the sun, and then there's the sun. Hmm? It's one thing to say, well, the sun is is it is in your room? Go in your room. You can get some of the sun. You know, well, you're in the rays of the sun. You're in the sun, but you're not in the sun at the same time, which would be a problem. So, the Gita here is teaching that we are like the rays of the sun, and then there's the sun. We're one, but we're there's a difference, and an important difference that makes for the possibility of a dynamic unity, which is what love constitutes. It's a dynamic unity, not a static unity whereby everything else is done away with and there's just one and there's nothing to be said or done and so forth. And this is a kind of a static uh, unity that uh, is useful, valuable, and um, high, if you will, having being a status 
the attainable that takes us beyond the false dynamism of the world. There's a false dynamism of the world where we think there are differences, and, but it's really the same thing over and over again. Puna punas charvita charvananam. Prahlad, the great uh, bhakta of the Bhagwat, he said it like this. Puna punas charvita charvananam. The world is chewing that which has already been chewed. It's a kind of a crude way of speaking about it, but you think about it, you know, you, you're dying to buy a house that somebody else is dying to sell. Hmm? Um, and um, we basically do the same things over and over again, hmm? dress it up a little differently. I like to think that in one sense America's contribution to the world is packaging. Hmm? Just package it a little differently, <laughs> name it a little differently, speak about it a little differently, but it's pretty much the same basic stuff that everybody has everywhere else. Uh, we need to eat, we need to sleep, uh, many people need companionship, mating and so forth. We need to protect ourselves of the basic hows that we need to get in place in order to, to live our life. And and uh, my Guru Maharaj once said, uh, put it like this, uh, this is kind of a 1950s example, um, that the dog uh, is running on four legs and barking Man is driving on four wheels and blowing the horn. So they used to, you know, drive the horn. There's a girl there, you know, and check out my car in the 50s was a thing, you know. <laughs> so um, another way of putting it, uh, our life in this world is one in which it appears that there will be a full meal. It's just about to come, but we're only served appetizers again and again and again, and the result, and that result is indigestion. And there's reasons for that given in the text of the Gita. After all, we're, there's a dualism here. As much as there's a unity, there's a dualism. There's a difference between consciousness and matter. Consciousness matters, and matter doesn't independently of consciousness. That's how significant consciousness is. It makes matter appear to matter. Hmm? The value lies in consciousness. Values it come from the subjective plane. Hmm? Um, the, the car has no, ma no doesn't matter without a driver. Hmm? And innumerable examples are there to illustrate the, the point. <clears throat> So, at any rate, this question, as I said, is, is, is asked or is discussed at the end of the sixth chapter, which begins these middle six chapters of theology, where you need an object of love and the lover and, and, and the bhakti or the love that connects them and so forth. And there the question is asked uh, with slightly... It's actually... Krishna says something. The question is addressed, but the question isn't asked. But he says... He says um, that uh, yuktatamo mataha, with regard to yoga, hmm, he says, this yoga of love and bhakti, this is yuktatama. Yukta, yoga is a yukta, is a linking, a union. Hmm? And uh, he says yuktatama, the most complete union or linking, communion, union with me. Hmm? That can be found in bhakti. Hmm? Here he says, yoga vittama. Hmm? 
Arjuna is asking, what is the what is the kind of yoga, if you will, or method of u- making connection with you, union with you, that is that is superior, that is best. Hmm? There's different ways to think about what is best, of course. Hmm? Um, but in both instances, we'll see that Krishna says bhakti is the best. Now we can talk about it, why it's best, in what sense it's best, how ultimately, how, whether it's subjectively the best or objectively the best, or both, or or it's best because it's easiest, or is it best because it's uh, ontologically a better, a, a, a deeper sense of union, and all these nuanced uh, questions may arise as to what it means by best. But that said, hmm, I've made a division, spoke of a division within bhakti, within un, with within bhakti, but the first here is talking about a division between bhakti and and jnana, and knowledge. Not between two different types of bhakti. I've emphasized the two different types because I want to say within bhakti we acknowledge a yoga-uttama, yoga-vittama, a path that arguably fosters a, a greater sense of union with the Absolute. If the union is by law, because it should be done, we should serve God because it's the right thing to do. Hmm? It's all calculated out. Hmm? That would be an instance of self-sacrifice, where I, with a sense of knowledge, I consciously make a sacrifice and dutifully love. We find this in Ramlila. You may be familiar with Ramlila. This is Mariada. This is Vidhi. Hmm? Ram does it because it's the right thing to do. And you're crying tears why he could do that. How he could sometimes doing the right thing is painful in this world. But there's a sense of there's more than than, than this world and its uh, achievements, attainments, and so forth to be to consider. Hmm? Um, so as a, again, as opposed to Consciously making a sacrifice, spontaneously. Love is without thinking. I'm doing it. I'm so identified. I don't stub my toe and think, oh, my toe has been stubbed. It hurts. Maybe I should say something. Ouch. That hurts. We just, ouch, because we're so identified with it. Hmm? So to be so identified with God is the idea. Hmm? That there's no time for calculating, and I'm doing it for any reason, beyond reason. Hmm? So we think that that's a growth, if you will, or a development, a, a progressive um, sense of unity with the divine that, uh, in a sense, transcends a unity out of obligation, out of duty, out of um, sensing it's the right thing to do. So to arrive at that, obviously, we might have to pass through one to get to the other to some extent. Um, and, of course, the Gita is teaching about that. But... Besides that subtle difference that I'm making here, an important difference with regard to yoga vittama, yoga uttama, the most complete kind of union, I think you can go with me pretty well on this, that a union of love like this and self-forgetfulness is a, is a higher or more comprehensive sense of union than a union between worshiper and worshipped and, and the worship uh, and so forth. In love, the distance between the object of love and the love are, are, are bridged. It disappears. The distance disappears. Hmm? Um, 
So while you can go with me on that, I think pretty easily it's it's a it's a pretty objectively uh, objective argument hmm? that um, works well with people's sensibilities based on their experience in life in general. Hmm? This world is, after all, somewhat of a shadow of that world. The tantra says, "As above, so below." Hmm? As above, so below. So if there's a world above, the world below is the same. Same but different. It's like a, like if you look in the mirror, you see yourself. There's only one difference. It's backwards. Hmm? That's all. That's a big difference. So we got it right here, but it's all backwards. <laughs> it's turned around. We're not the center. Hmm? Here we're takers. We've identified with with matter, and it's basically empty. Hmm? Those things out there that we see and that we, th- we think that we touch and own and give us security. Hmm? We don't really own them, as time t- tells. They don't really give us security, and they're not even out there. They're in here. Hmm? Matter, if we want to look from a scientific point of view, is basically spe- mostly 99 or something like that percent space. And those things and those forms and shapes and colors and whatnot, these are all experienced in the medium of the mind. Hmm? In Vedanta, there's a, there's, a, there's a crude form of matter that our bodies are made out of, and the objects, our senses are made out of, and the objects of our senses, sounds, things to touch, the tactile sense, forms that we see, and so on and so forth. Um, that is all a kind of a crude form of matter, and then there's a very subtle form of matter called mind, hmm? to use mana, buddhi, ahankar, all the constituents of the subtle. Uh, and we kind of dwell there, we make a, create a world of the mind. Mind and is this medium through which consciousness proper experiences the world of gross matter. It never really touches it. It gets the, well, use a scientific term again, qualia. It gets qualitative experiences of what the world's like and lives in this virtual reality of a, of a mind hmm, that conjures up a very different picture of what matter is really like. Hmm, that never really allows us to touch matter, therefore we're always feeling somewhat empty, somewhat insecure, and as much as we reach out to collect things, to acquire things for the sake of security, whether it be acquire a relationship, acquire a car, a house, um, um, we can acquire psychically, emotionally, or in a, in a, in a gross sense, uh, physically, but all of this acquisition is um, only an appearance of acquisition. And, as I said earlier, nothing's ours, as time tells us. So the I that comes out of our sense of my, which is false, is also false. Hmm? It cannot be sustained. So it's no wonder we feel a little trepidation in our life, a little bit of you know, gnawing and anxiety that's kind of always there. Hmm? And we, we can try to... Ignorance is bliss. We can try to get away from it in that way, Sometimes, but it's, it doesn't, it's not permanent. That has its own problems as well. So, yoga is a, and, and genuine spiritual practice is for making a solution to that. And it's a very uh, courageous kind of a path, actually. It takes 
a lot of a lot of courage and a lot of objectivity, actually, to look at the world objectively, not through the lens of our senses hmm, alone, which by which we'll get a bias. Your senses may say it's hot. Mine may say it's cold in here. Hmm? So which is it? Hmm? We have a perception based on our minds and senses that that, is, that don't give the whole picture. So yoga is about moving back from the world of perception derived from the mind and senses on the basis of a, really on the basis of sacred texts coming from, revealed through rishis and sages and so forth who say it's different. And what they say about it sounds interesting. And it sounds like here, theoretically, as a, as a comprehensive solution to the problem I'm experiencing, not only that, but the nature of the problem that I'm experiencing has been detailed in a way that I wouldn't have thought it all out very well myself, hmm? which gives me some some faith. The Gita is very much like that. I've sometimes said that the difference in one sense between the Bible, another revealed text of sorts, and the Gita is that one is about more or less about, about believing and the other is about the nature of being. Hmm? Gita being the latter. It's more about the nature of being, and when we hear about the nature of being, we find that that is how we be, or I'd like to be like that, or this is how the world is, and I didn't quite see it like that. I mean, we had a sense about it, but it's articulating in a way that I couldn't that well myself, and that articulation is compelling. Hmm? And then it also says things that require some believing, but based on if we embrace the nature of being as it's described there, which is kind of like speaking about look at this, what's in ra- around you and, and from a different angle, and you, and you can see it. The things I'm talking about, some of the things here when I talk about consciousness and matter and so forth, these things are rather somewhat, somewhat observable or this are readily our experience. That we're, as I said, living with some trepidation, where our life is based in one sense or another in a subtle or, or a crude sense on acquisition, the, th- the idea that we have to add something to our life in order to make it complete. Hmm? We're trying to be, we're trying to know, and we're trying to love. Hmm? We are, Vedanta says, a unit of being, a unit of knowing, a unit of loving. So stop trying. Hmm? And trying in relation to things that don't be, that don't really exist, that don't really know, and have no capacity to love. Things are not like that. Hmm? Things don't exist ultimately. As I've said, they exist in the head. Hmm? It's not really out there. We're only seeing, we get some kind of input through the senses and then a picture in the mind of what the world is. That's why you can have a different picture for me. Hmm? And And we've learned well, science has agreed, I could, guess you could say, <laughs> with, with Vedanta, in that, that there's, there's nothing really like solid out there like we, we perceive it, and so forth. So it's so all very, very interesting. So when we talk about it like this, we, you know, we, we're, kind of, we're starting to see the world and the nature of being in a way that, that can be experienced or it's somewhat verifiable. Hmm? And so then when the Gita, for example, in these middle chapters speaks theologically, hmm? Krishna's speaking about himself. Hmm? 
Well, we can't quite see that, perhaps. There are ways to see that. The, the, the yoga of bhakti affords us some vision. We can come into the temple, we can chant, and, and we can see the, the, the altar and the deity there, and one person can see a statue and sing some songs that, you know, <laughs> what's really being said here and whatnot. I've been through that too, so uh, I can appreciate it. Another person can, um, can converse with the deity and the song, the name, has Leela connected with it. It can be transported into that Leela within the heart and experience ecstasy and uh, and uh, and live in the world but not of it hmm? through these charming, if you will, uh, practices, singing, chanting, tasting the foods offered to the deity and so on and so forth, all that's part of, of, of bhakti yoga. <clears throat> so the believing... I want to say, in what Krishna says about himself in this chapter, he posits himself, as he has earlier, as the ob- perfect object of worship, with the perfect object of love. Hmm? Um, you go, well, I don't know about that. You know, but, but the believing somewhat is required will not feel so much as a requirement if you put into practice the nature of being that's been described. Hmm? Because what's being described about himself is that he is Satchirananda Gana. Hmm? He is being, knowing and loving, condensed, taking a shape. Hmm? It conjures up a little bit of a sense of objectivity. Hmm? Whereas being, knowing and loving in of themselves are kind of not objective, they're kind of Satchitananda, I'm Satchitananda, I'm consciousness, I'm, I'm different than matter. How can I describe myself? Hmm? So the question that's being asked here is that, what's, what's better, Krishna, Arjuna asks, loving you? Hmm? Uh, he says, uh, evam satata yukta, sat- always being satata, always yukta, united with you, in 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 love, tesham tvam paryupasate, united with you in 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 love, like through song, meditation, and so forth, or hmm, approaching you, ye chapi aksharam avyaktam. Hmm, or. <laughs> How to say, um, or approaching you as an object of love, or who I can actually engage in an exchange that constitutes love. Hmm? Love requires some action, um, some reciprocal dealings, and so forth. So, what's better to be united with you in reciprocal dealings that love constitutes, and on a scale, I guess it could be graded, the measure to which there are reciprocal dealings between the two, then they're loving. Hmm? Um, favorable reciprocal dealings. So what's better, that, or approaching you as avyaktam, hmm? aksharam, avyaktam, aksharam, arupam, uh, these are all negative terms. No form, no name, unmanifest. 
in the in the sutras uh, there is the aphorism neti 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 wants to talk about consciousness and it says not this not that not this not that what can we say about consciousness we can say it's not this we can say it's not that what can we say about it um what can we say there's a lot of truth it's not this it's not that so there's one way in which this verse is understood hmm, traditionally is that Krishna is talking about the difference between bhakti, wherein there's an object of love, Krishna, the personality of the Godhead, and the other approach to try to meditate on consciousness as being different from matter and that the ultimate reality is consciousness which underlies all material manifestations I am of the nature of that consciousness and there's not much more to be said because it's uh, the nature of the this uh, this consciousness is it's ineffable hmm? it's beyond word beyond thought um, it's got no shape hmm? Um, so it's getting harder to talk about even, hmm. or to speak of, to approach. So the question is, which approach is, is better? So from one point of view, obviously the bhakti approach is better, and that better means easier here. <laughs> it's easier to, <laughs> you know, you're going to think about something, you're supposed to meditate on something that, that's not like anything. Hmm. That's consciousness. Hmm. We understand consciousness to be irreducible. It cannot be reduced to matter. It, uh, it, it's, uh, and in saying so, in saying that it's very difficult to, to talk about, we don't mean to say that, it, that it's something less. We want to say it's something more. Hmm? It, you can only, uh, if I can't define it, you might think, well, you know, you can't even define it. What is it? Why should we talk about it? So forth. But the fact that it defies definition, hmm? from another point of view, says it's very profound. Hmm? Because everything can be defined, and we define things by way of comparing them to other things. You know, you read the dictionary, define a word. You know, you get a, some comparison goes on. But if there's something that nothing can be compared to, then it's, it's categorically different. It's substantively different than anything. Consciousness is different than anything. There's nothing in this world that we can compare consciousness to. Why? Because, well, in a basic sense, consciousness is experiential. It's an experiential reality. And things and matter, they have no experience. That's very different. Extremely different. Sometimes the example is given of the billiard balls, so... You know, if you hit a billiard ball on a pool table, then its balls are just bouncing around. They have no feeling. We never expect one of them to say, ouch. You will never get that from a pool, you know, or say, put me in a different hole there, you know. Or put a little chalk on the stick, you know. We never get experience out of the billiard ball. And this example is given because molecules and atoms bouncing, connecting, they're like billiard balls, basically. Made of the same basic stuff, that can be verified objectively, 
and they're just kind of bouncing around on a table, if you will, of the of the world. Hmm? And to think that 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 at some point they'll start experiencing hmm, is about as reasonable as the idea that a pool, you know, a billiard ball will say "ouch" at some point. It's not going to do that. I realize the 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 brain is much more sophisticated arrangement of matter than a pool table. Hmm? But you still have the basic, same basic, non-experiencing stuff. Hmm? It it has motion, hmm? and uh, and and whatnot. And there's fire, there's heat, there's liquid, some some movement and and whatnot. But to experience itself, hmm? that's why. From the Vedanta point of view, it's it's very difficult. They're having a difficult time trying to f- understand consciousness as matter and reduce it to that. There are some sophisticated approaches to that that are very counterintuitive from our perspective, and others even um, uh, pursuing those approaches would agree. It's extremely counterintuitive, and um, arguably it's 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 very um, illogical. Hmm? And it's not verifiable scientifically, um, whereas there are theories based on empirical evidence that might lead one to believe that there are theories that might lead one to believe in the opposite direction, which is conforms with our intuitive sense and is eminently rational and so forth and so on. So, so point here is that well. Consciousness is different from matter. It's so different that it's, 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 how do you define it? The Vedanta defines it by saying it's not this, it's not that, it's not this, it's not that. So these kind of words are used here. Aksharam, hmm? avyaktam, in other places. Arupam, hmm? without, uh, without form, without unmanifest. It's just, uh, uh, so Krishna's, Arjuna's asking, what's better, to meditate on that or on you? In love. So, from the point of view of which is that being better, being that which is easier, the answer is, is obvious. And even the great Shankar, who leans strongly in the direction of Advaita, a, a, a unity that uh, doesn't constitute bhakti, kind of what I would call a static unity, admits that bhakti is easier. Hmm? If we take that line of reasoning, he doesn't. He doesn't go as far as to say that ontologically. The object of love is being Krishna in form is better than the unmanifest, but he says it's easier. So, you know, enlightenment's not an easy, <laughs> an easy road to, to to travel on. So it would seem wise to take the easiest uh, path. Hmm? Why he insists on. On otherwise, it's, it's another another story. But, but here, of course, the argument there's a strong argument that ontologically speaking, the the form of the Godhead that is worshipped in love by the devotees is a superior kind of um, as a superior position to the um, undifferentiated consciousness, which, in from the theistic point of view, is like the aura, this Brahman is the aura of Krishna, something like that. What is Krishna then? Hmm? And he says it in the Gita in different places, Brahmano hi pratishtaham, 
I'm the foundation, Pratishta. Hmm? Brahmano he, Brahmano he, Pratishta. Aham. I am the foundation from which Brahman comes. Hmm? So this is a very. Um, oh, this comes. That point comes later, but this is anyway what what the question is about. Previously, as I said at the end of the sixth chapter. Uh, Krishna said, of all types of yoga, this yoga that unites one in, with, with, with me in love called bhakti, this is the yukta-otama. This is the way that you can be most comprehensively connected with me. So there, very clearly, the, the paths were compared. Here, Arjuna asks about the paths, which are better, but he asks in, in, this, in, in a way that emphasizes the difference between the objects hmm, that the paths focus on in terms of which is better. He says, which path is better? The path in which the object is the unmanifest Brahman or in which the object is the personality of the Godhead. Hmm. So one is which path is better and causes affords a greater unity with me. Hmm. And this is a little more um, specific. Which path is best in terms of the object? Hmm. So he really is making an ontological a question about the ontological status of bhakti in relation to and relation to the object of bhakti, and 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 jnana or the path of knowledge in relation to its object being unmanifest consciousness. Let me say something about the path of jnana. What we mean by the path of jnana or the path of knowledge is basically the the path which seeks to differentiate between ignorance and knowledge, pursue knowledge, and and then transcend it, and ignorance both. And ignorance here means the ignorance of attachment to things hmm, that causes suffering and anxiety. Pursuit of enduring happiness in relation to things that don't endure is ignorance. If you want to be happy in an enduring and comprehensive way, then don't expect you to don't expect to experience that in relation to things that don't endure. Hmm? You follow? If my happiness is based on the fact that I own a particular house, well, that could change. Hmm? The bank could say, "I own the house." Now you're in the street, same house. You're the same person. Now that. One day the house was giving you happiness, the next day it's giving you anxiety. Hmm? It's not mine anymore. And so it is with all things. And things, when I say things here, I include mental, mental things, mental emotional things. That means relationships. My husband, my, my children. Hmm? There's a sense in which they're ours and we, are, we should dutifully and, and lovingly care for one another and so forth, but there's another sense in which we have to appreciate these are, we're meeting together for reasons beyond our hormones and emotional necessities and so forth. Hmm? It's destiny, it's karma, and I've had other fathers and other mothers, and other, I've been children, I've been a daughter, I've been a son, I've been a father, I've been a mother, and so on and so forth. Hmm? One has to factor that in so that, and, and it's powerful, you factor in just a little bit, it's powerful. It will define then your relationships with others, hmm? in, in a sense, uh, that in, 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 
as much as that's factored in, it will def- it will will change the nature of those relationships so that ultimately you can really love those people in a deeper sense hmm? by knowing what they are beyond what they're they are an appearance of and so forth. So you can love them tenderly and carefully and so forth, but in such a way that that you know that's not the be all and end all uh, and it's a world of appearances and so forth. So it's a very subtle point, but an important point. <clears throat> and so anyway, here's the question. Which of these is best? I've kind of give, given the answer in, in, in a sense, but Krishna will go on and explain um, some good reasons as to why the um, bhakti hmm, is a means of uniting with him more comprehensively. Now, I did say that there are different ways to think about best and so forth, and one of the ways is what's best is what's best for you. So some people obviously prefer the path of knowledge, the path of distinguishing between the falsity of proprietorship, hmm? nothing really belongs to us, and the I that comes from my sense of my, hmm? it's mine, and that's me. My car, my house, my family, my state. I am North Carolinian. You know, I'm a husband, a wife, and all based on my. That I is false because nothing is ours. So in Gyan, we try to distinguish between these things, and that's all we do. In the Gyan Marg, we distinguish between that which is false, a false perception of of ownership, really, and the reality that we don't own anything which frees us up hmm, from the false I, the conventional ego, hmm, kills that, and with it all the anxieties that come from, you know, living life of a thief. Because nothing's yours. The long arm of the law is always there, so it's always, always kind of looking over our shoulder. I mean, we don't think of it like that. This is just a metaphor, metaphorical way of speaking about our life. Why we're in anxiety? Well, you're on the run, you know, you're on the lamb, you know. Uh, you think something is yours and you haven't recognized to whom it actually belongs and conducted yourself accordingly and so forth. So, problematic. So, whew, to end all that, that's huge. No more anxiety. No more taking. Hmm? So, then, therefore, no one's chasing me. So, I can say, Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. I feel peace, peace, peace. So, that's very valuable. Hmm? But what Bhakti is talking about is that love attractive idea, constitutes more than stopping from taking. So I could unite with reality hmm, by way of saying nothing belongs to me and stop being a thief. That's real. Nothing belongs to you and acting accordingly. And that will be a great relief. Hmm? But I, that's only half of loving. Loving has a positive connotation. Not taking is part of loving, but love constitutes something more. They say in the sports world, the best defense is a good offense. Hmm? So Bhakti wants to end this taking and this false sense of proprietorship hmm? and defend against our attachment to things by a good offense, by loving the Absolute. Hmm? In order to love the Absolute, that consciousness, ultimate reality, Brahman, has to take a shape. Hmm? That shape doesn't make Brahman less. That makes Brahman so much more 
And I'll give you a simple example that I like to give. Hmm? If you're everywhere, then you can't move. There's nowhere to go. If you're everywhere, you can't move. So Brahman is everywhere. Underlying everything is consciousness. Hmm? There's nowhere Brahman is not. How could it move? But in Krishna we find Brahman is moving. That's very extraordinary. That is called Leela. Hmm? The movement of Brahman is real. Our movement in this world is false. We're going up the down escalator. We're not getting anywhere. Hmm? For everything we take, we owe. Hmm? You bought a house for $100,000, you owe a million in interest after 30 years. You actually owe more. Hmm? This is the nature of the karmic implications. So in this world, there's a false movement. You never get anywhere. You only go backwards. Hmm? And the movement is obligatory. I took, now I owe. I've taken from the environment, now I owe. So I have to, I have to go, I have to move. The movement of the Absolute, the movement of Krishna in Leela, these things that we sing about, these songs that speak about, Yasumati Nandan, Gokul Ranjana Khan, Giribaridhari, these names are all speaking about different Leelas. What does it mean? Leela means play. Play is something that you don't have to do. Karma is something, is movement that you have to do, because you've taken, now you owe. And it's a vicious cycle. But in Leela there's play. Play is not obligatory. What is the movement of Leela? The movement of Leela is the movement that arises out of fullness. Not the movement that arises out of emptiness, and I think I need something to add to my life, because I'm running on empty. I, I, need a, I, need a, I need a full meal. I'm only getting appetizers. I need a full meal. I'm moving for that. No. Leela is a different kind of movement. When Brahman moves, that's very, like, esoteric. That's very extraordinary. It's the movement of fullness. There, there can be a... We can have this in our own experience. I'm so happy. I'm so full. Just materially speaking, let's say, you won the election. You won the Super Bowl or whatever. And, you know, you, 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 you graduated. You got your doctorate. You arrived on some plateau. And so let's go out tonight. You know, we don't, you know, let's dance with exuberance out of fullness, movement out of fullness, not movement out of incompleteness, out of a necessity. It's another kind of a necessity. In other words, union, st- static union of, 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 with the Absolute in itself, if we understand the term, this is about union. How can we have union with the Absolute? A comprehensive union or oneness with the Absolute will, by its very nature, foster a difference, a movement. Union means two things come together, then they stop moving. Hmm? But real, if you really understand the sense of union that Krishna is speaking about here when he says, yuktatama or yogavittama, Arjuna asks, what is it? Full union. This union, this unity causes diversity. Because hmm? it's a union in love. So Brahman is dancing. Hmm? What, is that? what is the orchestra? Bhakti. Hmm? Bhakti is the orchestra. It, it, it's causing him to dance. Radha is the, the conductor. 
we are all <laughs> playing different instruments. Hmm? And Brahman is dancing, movement in Leela. Hmm? And so we can enter into that kind of dynamic unity with the Absolute. This is Yoga Bhittama. This is Yoga Uttama. This is what Krishna will explain in this chapter. Any question? Yes. Uh, you had mentioned that our experience is actually in the mind. Mm. So then someone might think, like, well, I'm looking at the deity of Krishna. That's just in my mind. It's not. It could be. It's thought of like that. But the difference here is that bhakti is, as I just explained, what fuels the Leela. Hmm? So it's not really from this world. Bhakti comes from up to down. Bhakti is, descends the opportunity. It's, a, it's grace. Hmm? It, you know, we're graced by bhakti, let's say. It's a gift. It's not inherent in us. Hmm? We have the inherent capacity to take advantage of bhakti if the opportunity for bhakti should be offered. Whereas things don't. We are shakti of Bhagawan. Jeev Shakti, and there's Maya Shakti. Don't expect the floor to, you know, start dancing or something like that. You know, but you, as a conscious entity, Chitkana, in connection with Bhakti, can have a life that uh, that it's just like you're an ordinary guy. Let's say well, you fall in love. You're the same guy, but now the chemistry of love has made you something, you know, even more and better and more full and so forth. So bhakti is like a sharing of love from the Absolute with us. And so we become more, or all that we could be. We have a potential. Hmm? So this bhakti comes from up to down. And so how do you see the deity? Only through bhakti. Hmm? That's how you see the deity. Well, like you hear the deity, you know, why do you come here? Well, you heard the Swami's going to talk tonight, you know, or there's a temple there. So some devotee who's moving under the influence of bhakti tells you about that. So you come there. You've come there under the influence of bhakti, hmm? and it may be just very subtle or um, in the beginning, and you may not notice it as well. But the point is that any manifest manifestation of the deity and the means to connect with the deity is all coming from up to down. Hmm? It's coming through a succession of teachers and so forth, realized souls. Hmm? So the chanting, for example, this is a form of bhakti. So now your your senses, your ears, and your tongue are being used by bhakti. There's a stage in bhakti where we, th where we may think, I'm doing the chanting. And later on you'll realize you're being chanted, so to speak. There's, a, there's a, um, something like that. Just like there's a, there's a kind of a, in this world there's an attraction to the sense objects. It's very, it's like a forceful. You have a sense, you have a sense of sight, and there are forms, and there's, a, there's this, this what I mean, laws of attraction or something. Uh, there would be the movie like that or something. <laughs> um, so that's there's a kind of a in, invisible we would call it a shakti a power hmm? that just by, by which our senses gravitate towards sense objects. So there's a power of Bhagawan called bhakti, also shakti. Hmm? So bhakti is a kind of shakti, and coming under that influence then, and this union with Bhagwan is is is, for, is forged and so forth. So, um, no, in bhakti, we are actually perceiving the world through our senses, 
thinking about our experiences and so forth with the mind, but under the influence of, of, the, of another shakti. Hmm? And in time, then that bears fruit, and you see very differently. You follow? So, yeah. So we could say, well, sense perception is imperfect. This is kind of what you're saying. We might see in a distance a tree in the dark and think it's a person. So our eyes fool us. They're imperfect. Um, so we, we make that point. Therefore, we say, if you want to see perfectly, you have to see beyond your eyes. Eyes are limiting what you see. So we should see through the eyes of the sacred text and the vision of, of realized persons and so forth. Hmm? And so, but we say, well, I still have to use my eyes. And so, but you use the eyes are being used. They're coming under another another influence altogether, and they will bring that influence will bring tears to your eyes at one point upon seeing the form of Krishna, the picture of Krishna, people weeping, chanting the name of Krishna. Hmm? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would weep and fall on the ground in ecstasy and shower people with his tears. Hmm? What's in a name? Yeah, well, apparently quite a bit. So, that help? Anything else? So, I thank you all for your time. And here have come, some of you have come at this distance. You came from Hillsboro, right? From Durham. From Durham, Raleigh, Durham, okay. I met you before, Basil, and this is your friend? Mm-hmm. Shamala. 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 Oh, Sharmala. Okay, Sharmala. Okay. And I've met you before. No? Okay. <laughs> but you yeah. may have. I mean, somewhere. Then uh, I'm from Florida, so I've been to the Alachua Krishna Temple in Orlando. I've never been there, but. Never been there? Oh, okay, I'll have to go sometime. <laughs> well, thank you for coming tonight. So you live down the street then? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we were fortunate to have such a good neighbor. Feel blessed. Okay. Bhagavad Gita, Vidya, Shakal Bhattarudas, Chakrupasindu, Vidya, Chakrupasindu, Vidya, Chakrupasindu, Vidya, Chakrupasindu, Vidya, Chakrupasindu, Vidya, Chak